Hello, witches and wanderers. My name is Missa. And my name is Katie, and welcome to the Baby Witch Podcast. Well, hello, Katie. Hello, Missa. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Mm-hmm. Enjoying a lazy Saturday. That's good to hear. Um, lazy Saturdays. What have you been up to? I had to work a little bit earlier today, but then I, you know, got home and was just hanging out. Um, I did want to talk about a book I just finished reading. Um, I, yes, I just finished reading The Green Witch, um, your complete guide to natural, to the natural magic of herbs, flowers, essential oils, and more by Erin Murphy Hissock. Um, and I really liked it, um, both because I feel like it really articulated, like, okay, so the way the book is split up is that the beginning is kind of theory and philosophy about what it means to be a green witch, and then the remaining two-thirds of the book is really practical um, advice and instructions on how to do stuff, um, instructions on how, and I really liked the practical advice because it was instructions for how to do stuff that, like, I had heard um, other people in the witchcraft community talking about, but I had never been like been able to find instructions on how to make those things like making your own incense and um, making, yeah, stuff like that. And I, yeah, it's really practical instructions on how to make your own tools for witchcraft. So the second two thirds of the book are all practical advice, which I really enjoyed, but the philosophy part really articulated some parts of my witchcraft practice that I hadn't been able to really pin down before, like talking about how sometimes witchcraft is just sitting in nature and appreciating it and listening to the universe. And you don't always have to do big ceremonies. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And I'd encourage anybody who has a nature-based practice to read it. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I just started a new book last night and I haven't actually read anything more than the introduction, but I'm so excited to read it. Um, It is Enchantments by Maya Spalter. Uh, I heard about it on the Witch Wave podcast with Pam Grossman. And I'm super excited because barring any more major catastrophes in my life, uh, I will be going to New York in about three weeks and I will get to go to Enchantments Uh, New York's oldest witchcraft store. It's actually, my sister's very itinerary based. She like has lists for everything and it's on the itinerary. So I'm so excited. I've been to a couple of occult shops in the past. Um, I think we went together, went to one together in college. Um, But this is like, you know, this is Mm -hmm. the big one. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a really great experience. And then um, I also just recently got the Luminous Void Tarot deck and I'm obsessed with it and I can't stop pulling tarot because it's just so beautiful. And I've been pulling um, cards from from two decks. So I have the Bad Bitches Tarot, which you can see on our Instagram. Um, So I've been pulling from both decks and my readings have been amazing lately. It's always great when you can find something. Yeah, it's a whole different variant. It's always great when you can find something that really, you know, you really connect with like that. Yeah. I've been trying with tarot for a little over a year and it's been like a really slow practice for me. It's hard for me to really understand the cards. And I, I love my Bad Bitches Tarot deck. I, It's a wonderful deck. The guidebook is extraordinary. Um but it was just still so hard for me to like understand what each card meant and how it like was associated to the questions I was asking. And then when I started pulling two cards at once from two different decks, it was just a whole new experience altogether. Nice. Yeah, I haven't tried pulling with two different decks before, but that sounds like it could give you readings in an entirely different way that could be really interesting and um, give you a lot of good insight. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to do it. Um, I was just kind of nervous pulling with a new deck. And I was like, well, let's pull with a new deck and then a deck I'm familiar with. And like the first reading I got, I was like, whoa, okay, this is new. This is extraordinary. (laughs) Well, 
I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, I just hope that that keeps developing and your practice deepens. That sounds like it's really good for you. Yeah. All right. Should we get into today's topic? Yeah. Um, did you want to give our listeners a little intro? Uh, I'm in charge of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I could do it if you want to, but it seemed like you are, you pitched the idea to me and you articulated it really well when you did that. So, yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. I should go back. Should have gone back through our text and figured out what I said. <laughs> uh, well, today we're going to be talking about witchcraft and religion um, and not necessarily religion or not necessarily witchcraft as religion. So Witchcraft can be practiced by anyone with any faith or with no faith at all. Um, and I think it's really important for people to know that because witchcraft can seem kind of daunting if you're concerned that it's going to um, be disconnected or um, negatively impact your your faith or your own spirituality. Um, or if you feel like your faith has said, you know, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Um, you might feel connected to witchcraft, but still be kind of nervous to get into it. So we wanted to talk today about the different ways that witchcraft can interact mm -hmm. with religion. And I also feel like part of that is talking a little bit about what witchcraft and magic is, because to some people it is a religion and it's witch with a capital W and it's your religion. But for other people, it's just, it's another practice that's a part of their spirituality. And, um, I feel like a good way to define witchcraft is like the tools and practices um, to connect to spirituality in a occult or mystical way. Um, that might be a, I don't know. It, I feel like witchcraft is kind of one of those words like feminism or anthropology, where if you talk to 10 different people, 10 different people are going to give you um, their own definitions. But I feel like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I oh, know, but I feel ahead. like for this episode, this, that's the definition that we're more or less working with. Yeah. Witchcraft obviously means different things to different people. Um, and there's, especially right now, because witchcraft is so popular in pop culture, witchcraft to some people might mean lighting candles and setting intentions and keeping a crystal in your pocket. And for some witches who've been practicing for longer, they might be opposed to that definition of witchcraft because, you know, they've been kind of practicing in the shadows for so long. Uh, but I think, you know, whatever guides you, whatever gives you peace, I don't think that it's right to police someone saying that your witchcraft isn't my witchcraft and therefore it's not the right mm -hmm. practice. Yep. As long as it makes you happy, that's all that really matters. Yes. Um, there is a, a, a Wiccan read um, and harm none, do what you will. And I, I don't consider myself a Wiccan, but I, that is one of the ideas that I practice mm -hmm. with. And I also just feel like it's good advice in general for human beings. Like, Hey kids, don't be an asshole. That's pretty much what it's saying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think we're actually going to get started by talking about mm -hmm. Wicca. Um, and I just read a chapter in drawing down the moon that talked about like all these different factions of Wicca and my mind is exploding right now. Yeah. <laughs> so for starters, Wicca as a religion, um, it is witchcraft as a organized structured religion. Um, I personally don't identify with it and I don't think Nissa does either, but, um, the basic tenets are like you do high ceremonial magic and you specifically have like a high god and a high goddess. You have a set altar and those are the um, two deities that your magic focuses on and that you worship for more or less of a better word. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Wicca was brought... Um, or Wicca was, I don't want to say created, but founded by uh, Charles Gardner, who is problematic AF, and we will talk about him in a different episode. Um, 
but so Gardnerian Wicca was kind of the first tradition uh, that was publicized. Um, and so there's different factions of Wicca um, similar to Charles Gardner's tradition, um, but that have their own kind of rules and tenets. Um, so again, I was just reading this, this chapter. It just happened stance that I was reading this chapter right before we started recording. Um, but so there's Gardnerian, there's Alexandrian, um, there's fairy Wicca, uh, all these different covens that people created. Um, again, using kind of Charles Gardner's original tenants of, you know, how many people are in the coven they have, you know, how many feet across your coven, your circle should be those kinds of things. Um, but last, the last two weeks we've talked about like the wheel of the year and the Sabbaths, and that did come from Charles Gardner's Wicca. Yeah. So Wicca does touch witchcraft a lot and it does influence it pretty heavily, but I don't know, for me, I personally don't identify with it just because it is a little bit more structured than I really feel comfortable with. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I agree. Um, if I were to identify with any specific Wiccan tradition, it would be Reclaiming Wicca, which is Starhawk's tradition. Um, that's kind of what brought me to witchcraft was reading about Starhawk. Again, in our first episode, I talked about how I did my senior thesis on witchcraft as religion. And I studied a lot about their reclaiming tradition. And I really connected to it because it is a Wiccan tradition. And it, the way it separates from other um, Wicca is that it's very politically uh, minded. So they have a lot of political activism. Theirs is more, um, it's definitely feminist in nature, but also um, ecological in nature. So reclaiming the earth um, kind of a, a tradition there. And so I would definitely recommend researching everything about Starhawk and the reclaiming tradition. It's, there's a, a wealth of information there. Yeah. No, that sounds like I haven't, I'm so bad. I haven't read any Starhawk, but it is like, it's sitting on my bookshelf. I just have like 10 other books I'm trying to read at the same time. So, yeah. Oh girl. I mean, I understand. I'm, I just finished chapter five of drawing down the moon. One of like the quintessential witch books that you should read uh, but it's long and I just, I'm trying to read other things yeah, in between it's very it. Long. Yeah. And I have books like that too. I call them like palate cleanser books where you read a little bit of them in between other books. <laughs> so yeah, I get you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, another tradition of, of Wicca that I was reading about. So I just read a book I've been reading nonstop lately. I've been, uh, and I'll probably get into this more in another episode. I'm not trying to air all of my private information on the pod, but I've been sitting in waiting rooms a lot lately. Um, so I've been just having books with me at all times. So I just read, um, it's called Wikipedia. It's by Leanna Greenaway and Sean Robbins. And they are practitioners of angelic Wicca, which I thought was interesting. I hadn't actually ever heard of that before. Um, so instead of um, like pagan deities, they practice with angels. Yeah. And Going for flashing forward to the last group that we're going to talk about, which is uh, Christianity. I mean, that could be a really solid way for someone who's Christian and also is interested in witchcraft to practice witchcraft. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, sinful if you're working with angels instead of, you know, pagan gods. So, Yeah. Um, but I personally uh, practice uh, in a, not necessarily a neo-pagan tradition, uh, but I would consider myself a pagan and a polytheist in my witchcraft mm -hmm. practice. Um, but did we want to move on to neo-paganism? Yeah, on to neo-paganism. Um, yeah. And I have a lot of the same practices. Like I've talked before about how I'm getting into a lot of Norse stuff because I am part Nordic, but I would probably define myself as more like eclectic, European American because part of uh, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to get into the practices that my ancestors might have participated in but it's also really complicated because my you know I'm my family has been in America for a long time like my last ancestor was a great-grandfather who came over when he was four so my family's had a lot of time to mix and I'm pretty thoroughly a mutt so like I have 
Norse ancestors, but I also have ancestors who would have been Celtic, and I also have ancestors that would have practiced, you know, traditional uh, Roman paganism, and it's, yeah, it's, a, I'm just, and I also have ancestors that have been in America for, like, four centuries, so I've, yeah, so <laughs> I'm kind of, like, sampling a little bit of everything, and, like, I've only been seriously researching this for about a year, and that's not a lot of time to dip your toe into it, so I'm solidifying my practice, um, but it's also, like, read about Celtic stuff, and read about Nordic stuff, and Italian witchcraft, and Roman practices, and, um, also my family's like I have part of my family that's from the Ozarks and research stuff that American witchcraft has developed over the small time we've been a country so it's I don't know it's really hard to describe what I do so yeah oh. okay sorry I thought your phone froze for a second there so no, I was just trying to bring it back to oh, neopaganism. Sorry. I was jumping off that because you had asked me if I was neopaganism in a text earlier, and I was like, kind of, but I also feel like neopagans are a little more organized. Like, I feel like if you're neopagan, yes. you um, follow one individual practice dating back to um, pre-Christian times. Like, if you are Nordic, you specifically brought... Um, you specifically practice Nordic traditions and you work with the Nordic pantheon and you don't really stray outside of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. I haven't, I, so again, I consider myself kind of pagan, but I have a pantheon of deities that, that are Greek, Roman, uh, Celtic, Nordic, um, a little bit Egyptian, but, really only when it comes to death in the afterlife. Um, again, I, it, Egyptian was a long time ago, but they were still people of color and I don't like to appropriate mm -hmm. other people's traditions, even though no one's really practicing, you know, the, I don't, I wouldn't even know that I would call the ancient Egyptians pagans, uh, but I don't think anyone's practicing that religion nowadays mm -hmm. but it's still something i would want to do more research on before i would really start using like isis mm -hmm. um or bast or anything in my pra personal yeah, practice and i can appreciate that it's, um i mean until the ptolemic dynasty took over the greek monarchy it was probably a dynasty uh, or a country of people of power and even when the greeks did take it over it probably was still, you know, the ruling class were the Greek people, but the, um, but the uh, base population were people of color. And I don't know, it's, yeah, it's, I have the same thought about it. Like I do appreciate it about a lot. And there's actually some linguistic and archeological evidence that there was a lot of mixing between ancient Greece and ancient Egypt. And maybe some like Isis might've been another word for Hera or something like that. Um, but yeah. it's also like, it, I don't know, you just don't want to appropriate. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's like, you know, one of those jokes that goes around Twitter. That's like, if you were into the ancient Egyptians, when you had to do your sixth grade, like project, I don't know if that was everyone or just California, but like, you're a witch mm -hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I remember having to do my like project on, uh, the, the ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses in the sixth grade, and I chose Isis and Osiris, and I was just like, "Wow, this is for mm -hmm. me." Yeah, and now that I, yeah, and now that I, I think like, back to it, I think I had to do a similar school project, which is yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so neo paganism. Um, I don't want to like give definitions of everything because we're not scholars and we're not people that you should take definitions from um we're just trying to give you ideas about what practices are out there if they resonate we're gonna say resonate a lot but if they resonate with you um if it's something that you feel called to that just know that you know it's the tradition is there and available to you potentially to practice um if you're looking for something spiritual you know if you're looking to um, enrich your spiritual life. Yeah. And then I think, I don't think we gave a straight, like 
I know you just said we're not going to give definitions, but I don't feel like we've given a clear idea of what (laughs) neo-paganism is. But basically, it's people who um, look back at historical records, and they basically try to recreate an ancient pagan practice from pre-Christian times. So, for example, um, on the Nordic side, there are some written documents because the Norse did start writing stuff down around the same time that Christianity flooded in. So there are a few written documents that talk about um, their pantheon and myths, and that's where a lot of Nordic uh, neo-pagan practices come from. Um, Also for Celtics, the uh, Romans uh, encountered a lot of Celts as they expanded out from Italy. Um, So everybody knows like the Roman Empire eventually took over Spain, France, um, and also the uh, Britannia up to the Hadrian's Wall. So they did see a lot of Celtics. And as they did that, they wrote and documented Celtic practices, and that's what, how a lot of Celtic neo-pagans get their practices. So, yeah. Yeah, so again, I mean, if it's something that you're interested in, I didn't know about neo-paganism until we took that class in college. I'd never heard that term yeah. before. I had heard of like Wicca and, and things like that, but um, so once I heard the term, it was a, kind of a jumping off point for me to go do my own research and find what worked for me. And again, I, I now have a pantheon um, that's not just based in one ancient tradition. It, it spans, you know, multiple different, I don't want to use the term pantheon again, but you know, the a Greek pantheon, a Roman pantheon, mm-hmm. and a, um, again, I, a little bit of uh, Norse as well. No, and there's, and that's pretty similar to my practice because like I, you know, I, growing up, I identified very strongly with the Roman, Roman pantheon or Greek pantheon, just because that's what was like in your face all the time. Um, or at least it was in my face with the classes I took in school and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I'm trying, like, now I'm working more with Freya and I'm learning more about Celtic deities and it's kind of eclectic. I also feel like as Americans, it's kind of hard to not be eclectic because just as a culture, we're very eclectic. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's neo-paganism. Um, did you want to talk about atheistic witch practice now? or? Yeah, so um, we're going to try to just throw this in the middle here before we get into more um, popular religions. But we wanted to mention that it's possible to be a witch and not be religious, um, to not have deities in your practice at all. Uh, It's perfectly acceptable to just work your magic with crystals and candles and, you know, the power of the earth or the universe, um, spirit guides, things like that, without having them relate to specific deities or even to use deities, you know, um, in your practice without worshiping them, without kind of venerating them, but instead calling on their power the same way you would maybe call on the power of a crystal. Yeah, and it's also, like, there's really interesting, um, and I sometimes come at uh, witchcraft from an atheist point of view, just because I more or less got into this from an anthropological approach, so I started thinking about the stuff going, well, maybe it's all psychosomatic, but if it's psychosomatic and it works, but the other side of that is it's not psychosomatic if you don't believe in it, so anyway, but... um, There is a lot of like scientific ideas to why witchcraft might not necessarily be spiritually based. For example, some people think that like the tactile response your body has to holding crystals gives you the same results that people attribute to the spiritual aspects of crystals. Or um, a lot of people work with gods and goddesses from a Jungian, um, a Jungian point of view, and Jung was a psychologist who came up with the idea of um, archetypes and that we have these big archetypes that kind of create the unconscious psyche of people. And when you work with gods and goddesses, you're essentially working with these big archetypes of our culture. Um, So I work with gods and goddesses a, a lot in that way. For example, I work a lot with Persephone because I, you know, have depression and anxiety and it kind of 
working with her helps me connect to the idea like not every day is a good day sometimes you're in the underworld sometimes you're above ground and celebrating spring it's <laughs> it yeah it really helps that way so yeah yeah absolutely um so we have a friend who recently has kind of shown an interest in witchcraft but is definitely an atheist i mean um we'll probably talk about her a lot. So Katie and I have like a third, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's three of us. And so Katie and I are witches and that's why, you know, we identify as witches. That's why we did the podcast. Um, but then our third person um, just recently, probably earlier this year started getting interested in like crystals and asking us like, okay, well, what about, you know, what about this part of astrology um, things like that? So she's not going to be practicing with deities. I can guarantee it. If, if she does practice at all, any more than like lighting candles and incense and, you know, wearing crystal jewelry and, and, um, you know, the evil eye, things like that. So it's definitely possible to connect to a spiritual side of you, a side that wants to make change in the natural world, you know, manifest your intentions without, relating that back to a religion or again, a, a deity of, of your choice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's possible to, I'm going to say a lot, a big part of witchcraft, at least for me. And again, I do practice deities is um, knowing that the power is inside of you and also all of all mm-hmm. around you. Yeah. And that the best way I've heard that described is you have to meet the universe halfway. Um, you know, say, you know, you're looking for a new job, you know, you can light a bunch of new job candles to maybe swing things in your favor, but you're not going to get the new job if you aren't, you know, going out and applying and making sure your resume looks good and making sure that when you show up for an interview, you, you know, are dressed appropriately and, you know, do your best. The universe isn't just going to hand you a job. So. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe lighting that candle is what gives you the motivation or um, the inspiration to, you know, put on that Mm -hmm. suit. Maybe you had another outfit in mind and then, you know, you lit your candle and you go, oh, you know what? I actually have this like white pantsuit and I am putting that thing on and then you get the job and you think, you know, I hadn't thought about wearing that until I lit the Mm -hmm. candle. Um, So there's definitely a a balance there that I think is, um, you know, as witches that we need to, recognize and going back to what I said like I do definitely believe in some form of higher power I don't know if I would use the word God to describe it um I do definitely believe in something spiritual and beyond us but another part of me is like well this might just be all psychosomatic but if it's psychosomatic and work and it works and it helps you what's what's wrong with it why would you stop doing it so yeah yeah exactly And that's kind of um, when we talk about, you know, the bigger religions, the um, like Judeo-Christian religions or Abrahamic religions. um, I try not to get on people. You know, we think like, I don't want to call anyone out specifically, but, you know, there are certain traditions where we go like, oh, well, they're that, you know, oh, well, did you hear that she actually like practices this religion? Um, And then, you know, word will go around like, oh, oh, gosh, they're this. Um. But as long as, again, we're going back to that, what we talked about earlier, and harm none, do what you will, if that gives you peace, if that gives you structure, uh, if it's not harming anyone else, then then go ahead and practice it. I'm not going to, you know, guilt you for being a specific religion if it's helping you and not hurting anyone else. Yeah, that is very well said. Um. And then, so speaking of the kind of bigger religions, um, did we want to move on and start talking about um, Jewish yes, witchcraft? Let's do that. Um, so I found a lot of stuff about Judaism just because uh, most of the resources that I saw said that they didn't have the ha- same hangups about magic that Christianity did. So there's kind of this tradition where there are certain parts of Judaism that actively embraced witchcraft. Um, and even in some ways really influence the way that witchcraft is practiced today. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many famous witches that were, um, 
brought up in the Jewish tradition. Uh, so I know Starhawk was brought up Jewish. I believe Z Budapest, um, who again, we'll talk about later as being problematic. Uh, I believe she was also Jewish. Um, and then modern, which is Pam Grossman. And uh, is she, I think lovingly refers to herself as a Jew witch. <laughs> um, and then Gabby Herstick, I want to say one of her parents is a rabbi. Yeah, yeah, no, one of her parents, I think her dad was a rabbi and she actually has a really interesting backstory because um, her mother was also Jewish, but she was um, Mexican Jewish. So she grew up in Mexico, was Mexican, but also, you know, was in the Jewish minority in Mexico, which is really interesting, so. Yeah, um, so I recently... Um, so back in recently, back in August, um, I attended a ceremony. It was, uh, I'm going to not pronounce this correctly because Hebrew is whoo, not familiar to me, but it's, I want to say Tisha B'Av, something along that. So it was a Jewish, uh, day of mourning. Um, and it was, so that I ha- ugh, there is in the town next door to me, the last remaining ICE detention center in Northern California. Mm. So there have been some protests there, and it's primarily been led by um, by Jewish leaders, by Jewish community members, um, whose you know grandparents told them about the Holocaust, and grandparents said this is this is how it started. Um, so they there we had a um, again I don't know enough about Judaism. I have plenty of Jewish friends, and I guess I've just never asked them how to pronounce things or like about tradition their traditions. Um, so like the Jewish Sabbath, um, which is on Friday night. So I attended a, a one of those uh, f- maybe in July. And then the Tisha B'Av was in August. And it was so ceremonial. It was, so it was outdoors. It started with a blessing by indigenous dancers um, because we're on Nishinam and Maidu land. And then when we moved over to the, the, the Jewish um, cultural side of it. So the actual, like there was smelling of incense. So they passed around cloves for everyone to smell. Um, there was like, I think wine to drink. Um, they, uh, blew a, a horn. So like, I don't know if it was a ram's horn or something, but both the indigenous dancer and the rabbi did that. Um, and it was just so interesting to see the similarities between the two traditions. Um, but it was, it, felt very comforting to me because a lot of the stuff that they were doing is similar to ways that I practice witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even the, they were reading from, again, I don't know the words. I'm so sorry. If you're Jewish and you hate me right now, totally fine. Uh, I should have done more research and known the link better language to use, but um, we read, I don't know if you, if it's called scripture, but we read it in English, Spanish, Hebrew, and Yiddish. Um, and I know that Judaism is like a liturgical tradition. So like, but everyone around me, like they knew the Hebrew, they were singing all these songs in Hebrew. Cause I was one of the only people there that wasn't Jewish. Um, but it was just so comforting to just hear people singing this ancient song, this, you know, from this language that people don't use, uh, at least in America as their common dialect, but they all knew the words, all these people who didn't know each other came together and had this, this similarity, this thing they could share. And I mean, it was beautiful and, but ritualistic. Um, but again, in my mind, so witchy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting, um, how, uh, practices that are really common in mainstream religions can translate over into, uh, into witchcraft. Uh, For example, you know, the Catholic church is big on oils and throwing water in your face and incense. Um, (laughs) And also like, I was just thinking, I know we were going to discuss this at the end, but we didn't really have that much to go off of for um, Islamic witchcraft. But I was thinking about how, uh, you know, the whirling dervishes in Turkey, they kind of, you know, do this dance in order to get in a euphoric state and better connect with God. And that's, you know, that's also something witches do a lot. You dance yourself into a state of euphoria. And 
Yeah. Yeah. This, the spiral dance um, is again some is part of the reclaiming tradition of Wicca. But again, it's practiced by people that aren't just in the reclaiming tradition. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of intersecting points, and I think that kind of goes back to like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to connect to spirituality. You just have to figure out what works best for you. Yeah. Um, another thing I was reading about um, Jewish, not even necessarily Jewish witchcraft, but kind of Jewish mysticism um, was the, that God created both a spiritual force and a natural world and that the spiritual force could be used to manipulate the natural world. Um, and so kind of magic is the, the creation of God. Like it was intended for you to use by God. Um, so, and again, I, not Jewish. This is something that I read on the internet. If you're Jewish and you say that what a little bullshit, just let me know. I mean, if, if we're going to make mistakes on this podcast, we want people to, to let us know. Um, you can get us on email. Um, we're at babywitchpod at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at babywitchpod or DM us on Instagram at babywitchpod. Um, we're going to make mistakes, but we want to make sure that we're correcting those mistakes. We can always do like mini-sodes or something on the Mondays that we don't have regular episodes coming out um, for any like corrections or additions. And I don't know. I also just wanted to discuss some like basic resources where if you are Jewish and you want to get more into the mystical side or like practice Jewish witchcraft, um, I did a little bit of looking into that. Um, for example, uh, Lilith is really widely regarded in the witchcraft community, but she is a traditional um, Jewish, uh, I don't know what the best word for this, but a person of interest or um, mystic being. Yeah. yeah. So that does. Yeah. It comes from the Jewish tradition. I mean, if you've read the Christian Bible, she's not mentioned by name in the Christian Bible. She's, she comes from the, the uh, Jewish mm -hmm. text. And also um, if you're of uh Yiddish descent, um, I, there are some traditional Yiddish uh, lineages for magic. For example, um, in Yiddish communities, there was the Ba'ale Shem. Um, and I, I did grow up, like I had some really close friends growing up who were Jewish. So I grew up about around it a bit more, so, but that pronunciation still might not be correct. So the Ba'ale Shem is an expert in magic in a Yiddish community. And there's also a really strong tradition in Yiddish communities of shaman rabbis who practice magic as well as, you know, being the town rabbi. Um, and then, yeah. Cool. And then also um, Kabbalah, which is kind of the mystical side of Judaism, um, might be a good way to dip your toe in there. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just reading my notes here. So the Christians saw Kabbalah from an outside side as like just purely magic. So it, when Christians saw Jewish people doing this, they just like thought it was magic. And that's why there's kind of some weird relationships between Christians and um, Jewish people regarding this um, or regarding all of European medieval history. Let me rephrase that. Um, but <laughs> uh, in reality, Kabbalah is just Jewish magic and mysticism. Um, and there's a lot of ceremony that goes into it, but part of what I found out is that a lot of current high ritual magic was originally based on Kabbalic tradition. So there's a lot that you can get into there. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I think that was part of the, um, what I was just reading and drawing down the moon. And I don't have the book with me, of course, because every time I want to reference a book, it's on the other side of the room <laughs> during this podcast. Um, but they were talking about how a lot of the traditions were taken from a Jewish text, um, like the, like reading over the Gardnerian Wiccan traditions and relating them back to a, a Jewish source. And I just wish I had that book with me. <laughs> it was something about Solomon, but there's a lot about Solomon. So I don't know exactly what it was. Um, but I want to go back to Lilith just briefly. Um, so I have a friend who is Jewish and a witch, and I asked her about her practice. And she doesn't really practice Judaism except her 
um, connection with Lilith. So she gave me some information. Literally, she just linked me to Lilith.org. She's like, here you go. Here's all the info you need. Um, but it talked about Lilith being, um, of course. So if you're not familiar with the story of Lilith, she was Adam's first wife. Yeah. So the history says that um, Adam and Lilith were created at the same time. And Adam told Lilith to be subservient to him. And she was like, uh, no. And so Adam told like tattletale to God, like, Hey, this chick won't be subservient to me. And God said, be subservient to him. And she was like, I'm out of here. So then God created Eve from Adam's rib so that he would be subservient to, or that she would be subservient to Adam. Um, so then Lilith was outcast, exiled, um, and she became the mother of demons. Um, and so at least for, I know some Jewish witches, um, Lilith is venerated because she was the first person, the first human to say, fuck you to patriarchy. <laughs> you know, she said, no, I'm, I'm equal to man. I'm not Adam's lesser. And for that, she was exiled. Mm-hmm. So on this website, Lilith.org, um, there was a quote. In creating the Lilith shadow role, men are telling a woman that if she is independent, assertive, free, as Lilith was, she'll end up a frigid, nymphomaniac, childless witch. And I love that. I want to be exactly that person. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't, like, (laughs) can you sign me up for that? That sounds exactly like how I want to (laughs) be. Anyway. Yeah. That's not a threat, girl. That's a promise. Yeah, no, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. But, Uh, but also, oh, uh, I'm just going to finish up here with the Lilith as the concept of the mother of demons, um, which you'll see also in the, uh, the chilling, the, yeah, the new show, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, so I just read uh, Basic Witches by Jaya Saxena and Jess Zimmerman um, that I think I mentioned on the last pod or two pods ago, and I couldn't remember their names, so that's their names. Um, but demons, spelled D-A-E-M-O-N-S, um, were originally considered guiding spirits and benevol- benevolent, powerful sources. Um, and they, we didn't get the demons spelled the D-E-M-O-N-S it, the way that we view them now as um, kind of these evil, dark forces of the underworld until Christianity came around. Um, so we have this concept of Lilith, the mother of demons, but maybe she's the mother of wisdom and, and these guiding spirits. Yeah, and I also was going to talk about mm-hmm. this in the Christianity section, but we're talking about demons now. But um, I've done some research into like traditional traditional like traditional European um, relationships to witchcraft and in that I found that um, yeah I found that demons aren't actually like demons demons demon the names of demons like Baal and all that are actually names of old pagan gods so demons might not even be bad forces they're just um, old gods that Christianity reappropriated to seem evil to the larger populace so yeah. All right. Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about um, regarding Judaism and and Jewish witches before we move on to Christianity? No, I think uh, that was everything that I found out. But yeah. Okay. Oh, I actually did want to say one more thing about Judaism. Um, one source. So I, we haven't really talked about these for the for. Wicca, other than drawing down the moon and any text by Starhawk. Um, But for Judaism, one text I found, um, Llewellyn, um, so Llewellyn Publishing is like witch publishing, basically. Like they're super old publishing company. They have a ton of books. I think I mentioned them two episodes ago when we started talking about the Wheel of the Year. So if you're just like looking for books and you don't know where to start, um, that's actually a great source of just places to, to start looking for books. Um, but they have an encyclopedia of Jewish magic, myth, and mysticism. I haven't read the book, so it's not an endorsement. It could be a garbage book, but it, it's somewhere to start. Um, not every book you're going to read on witchcraft is going to be like a Bible. It might be a garbage book. I just read a couple garbage books that I was like, uh, maybe I'll get like two quotes out of here that I liked, but otherwise I kind of wish I hadn't wasted my time on this book. So, um, but it's, it's somewhere to start. You know, and it might even have sources in the back of other places that you could, you know, find more information. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Christianity, I mean, I 
I started researching this and it was almost like the more I thought about it, the more I realized that you really can just, you know, basically be Christianity and use the tools of witchcraft. And in fact, a lot of like Catholics and other um, Christians who are more heavily ritual based, like probably already do. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So for example, um, last week we talked a lot of, or last episode we talked about um, the Sabbaths and I talked about um, Lubnasa and how it was reappropriated by the Christian tradition to a holiday called Lamas. So hypothetically you could celebrate Lamas instead of um, Lubnasa or instead of lighting a candle and saying a prayer to Artemis, you could do that for, um, you know, St. Anthony. I actually, uh, I have Judica Elish's uh, Book of 5,000 Spells, and there, there are some spells in there. Yeah, Ooh. there are some spells in there that are specifically like, say a prayer to this old, um, obscure saint, and it will help with this issue. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely follow some um, witches on Instagram who will like like the seven day saint candles and they will use saints in their practice the same way that I would use deities in my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, so we, Katie and I have another friend. Um, so she's actually my friend from high school. Um, and then she was an art. Actually from <laughs> no no go well, ahead and then she went to college with us and she was an archaeology major with me so we got to yeah yeah so we're both um good friends with her and she found out that we had this podcast and she contacted me and said like oh I'm actually a a, a practicing witch um, and I converted to Catholicism and I was like wait what <laughs> um the witchcraft thing makes sense to me and but I was shocked about the Catholicism. So I said, like, tell me more, tell me all about it. Um, so she gave me a little bit of information about how she personally practices. Um, I'm not gonna go into too much in it here cause she told me a lot and it was all such good information. Um, but she talked about how like before converting to Catholicism, she uh, would work with deities, um, like she referenced Poseidon as a divine aspect. Um, so, and Poseidon as a um sorry there's like motion outside of my house I've got sketchy neighbors (laughs) I was just like staring out the window at a sketchy neighbor Uh, anyway so she talked about Poseidon as the sea like the the water aspect of the divine um and so connecting with the ancient deities and the pagan deities as sort of, again, aspects of God, of the Christian God, which I found interesting and I hadn't thought of before. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And also like something else I have realized through trying to research more traditional forms of European witchcraft is that a way that witchcraft survived in Europe after Christianity took over is that it kind of like, like hit itself amongst Christianity. That's why there are some, like the spell I was referencing before, I don't have it in front of me, I forgot to write it down, but it was um, referencing, it was saying that you need to light a candle and basically say a prayer to this one very old uh, Celtic saint who um, was one of the first uh, British Celts to convert into uh, Christianity. But some people think that she's a, uh, some people think that she's still pretty freaking Celtic and just converted to get away from a bad home situation. And others think that she was actually a saint and Christian. Um, another example is St. Brigid. Um, Brigid is a Celtic goddess, but St. Brigid is very much a saint within the Catholic tradition. Um, so there's a lot of ways that Christianity and witchcraft have come to oversect or come to intersect just because of necessity over time. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then a big part of my practice is honoring the divine feminine. Um, and so in, at least in Catholicism, um, and especially in Latin American Catholicism, hold on just a sec. I got a cat on my lap. Yeah. Oof. 
Okay. <laughs> so a big part of Catholicism is the veneration of Mary, um, the virgin mother of God. Of course, she has to be a virgin because let's make sure that she's not uh, enjoying herself. And she never had sex after having Jesus but, ever either. Yeah. <laughs> Even though she was married. Um, so, uh, so, but honoring Mary as the divine mother, as, you know, the mother of God. And so there's a lot of ways I think that you can, um, if you are a, a Christian, witch, especially if you're a Catholic, witch, work Mary into your practice as honoring the divine feminism or the divine feminism <laughs> as honoring the divine feminine. You know, I think that's really important. And, um, I feel like that is more or less how you get the divine feminine in uh in christianity especially well i don't know growing up in catholic school i was always told like god doesn't have a sex god is just you know there it's he is male and female but um i don't know yeah but then when you try to refer to god as she in catholicism they get real mad at you exactly (laughs) if they're both I'm not like speaking from experience or anything. Well, if, and also my answer to that is, well, if God is both gender, shouldn't we be using gender neutral pronouns for God? Um, but. Right. Um, could you imagine? Gosh, the Associated Press couldn't even get Sam Smith's pronouns right in the article where they came out as gender binary or non-gender binary. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> um but in addition to mary um i was there is a book that came out earlier this year again i haven't read it this is not an endorsement it could be garbage um but it's called mary magdalene revealed it's by megan watterson and it is an um, i don't think it's necessarily catholic i think it's more protestant christian um but it was about recognizing Mary Magdalene as an aspect of the divine feminine. I thought that was really interesting. I didn't really do too much more research on that because honestly, as not a Christian, sometimes reading about Christianity can be exhausting because yeah. um, a lot of it, at least in Western culture is very preachy. Yeah, well, and so it's hard to, it's, it's one thing to read something from kind of from Katie's point of view as an anthropological point of view, when you read something and it's preaching to you, I, I get turned off real yeah. fast. Well, but also, I don't know. When I, when I was Christian, I always really liked Mary Magdalene and identified with her both because I feel like she really emphasizes the parts of Christ that I really liked, you know, kind of forgiveness of people, no matter what they've done. Um, and kind of the humble aspect of the divine, but also because maybe according to some texts, she was Jesus's baby mama. It really. Hey, uh, do you know that was my grandma's name? Mary Magdalene. Mary Madeline was my grandma's first name. She went by Madeline my, like forever, but legally her first name was Mary Madeline. So I did some research into like some practical ways that you might be able to work with witchcraft as a witch. Um, so a lot of- Witchcraft as a witch? I mean, witchcraft as a Christian, <laughs> sorry. Um, so one of the ways I saw is that one of the traditional ways that magic was practiced against within the Christian community, and this is something that you even saw during the Salem witch trials, um, was that people did magic to protect, to protect against magic, which um, didn't, wasn't always popular. In the case of the Salem witch trials, it led to at least one person getting arrested for doing that kind of magic. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Christian traditions based on that belief, and you could also work with the angels, um, like we were talking about before. Um, I've heard that the archangels have a lot of uh, oomph to them, and you don't necessarily want to deal with them lightly, but I do know that people work with um, Michael and Gabriel for protection. Um, There's also a specific branch of magic that deals with angels called Enochian magic, Um, and it's using high magic to summon and work with angels. Um, I actually dug into this a lot, and it is it very heavily influenced um, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is an ancient, yeah, which is an ancient, um, not ancient, which is a an old um, kind of brotherhood of mysticism, kind of like the Masons, um, that really heavily influenced uh, Wicca and modern day witchcraft. So. Yeah, if you want to 
get into some high ceremonial magic that maybe Jesus doesn't look down on, Enochian magic might be a good way to do that. Yeah, cool. All right. Is there anything else that you needed, wanted to talk about, uh, about Christianity? No, I think that. And witchcraft. Yeah, I think that was all that I had in my notes. Did you have anything else? Um, no, again, um, everything we've kind of talked about today is high overview. So in these first few episodes, especially like we talked about the Sabbaths, we're talking about religion today. It's a high overview. This is for beginners, people that are interested, um, but don't know kind of where to start. And we want to talk about, you know, if this is your background, there's definitely still a place for you in witchcraft. And there's definitely a way for you to incorporate it. Or if you are a witch and you feel called to a, you know, if you already consider yourself a, a practicing witch, but you feel called to a specific religion, you don't need to abandon your witchcraft or you don't need to feel like you're, you know, betraying one aspect of your identity by practicing both. Um, yeah. And, and witchcraft. Again, I mean, if you're Wiccan or Neo-Pagan, it's kind of hand in hand, but if you're, if you're Jewish or Christian, um, you know, there's definitely a place. To- yeah. And also, I, I don't know, part of the reason why we're doing overviews is because we're trying to keep these episodes down to be less than an hour. And I think that we are close to an hour, already over an hour, but yeah. Yes, we're just approaching it, but we are almost done. We promise. Oh, <laughs> we forgot to talk about with Christianity are kind of traditional, um, I, traditional witchcraft practices um, like hoodoo and santeria. Um, those also draw very heavily from Christianity. Um, basically, they were kind of an amalgamation created um, by slaves uh, that combine traditional African religions with the religions of their slave masters. Um, and that kind of highlights why we didn't talk about them at length because we are both white women and these are very much the religion of people of color. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you are Christian there, if you are Christian and you possibly come um, from, you know, if you're black or if you are Caribbean or if you come from people who practice those religions, there is a lot for you to work with. Cause I know in hoodoo, they do work with some saints pretty extensively. Yeah. Um, and so, or maybe you've heard about them and you weren't quite sure, um, you know, where they got their start or, or what's, you know, how they practice. Um, but yeah, it was really a way for slaves, um, you know, to be able to retain their practices from home, um, in kind of a, an undercover way so that they weren't, um, punished by their shitty white slave owners. Um, so a lot of the practices incorporate um, African traditional yeah. religion um, and, and a mix. Hoodoo is, is, Hoodoo is very African-American, so it's not an African tradition, but it incorporates multiple African, um, I'm trying to find the right word here, but again, this is not my practice, and I don't want to speak for someone who actually does practice this. Um, but hoodoo incorporates like in- multiple African traditions and Christianity in a way that allowed people to retain their mm-hmm. home religions. Yeah, and it, I mean, it also was a way, it was a slave's religion, and it very much um, gave them back some power. A lot of the reason why there's a lot of negativity associated with hoodoo and people think that it's you know dark black magic is because like you know if you are you know enslaved and there's not really a way out and the only way out is really to like you know your slave master dies or you die or something like that there's i've heard that um in the hoodoo tradition there you know death is kind of celebrated um and also you know if you can get out of it by cursing your boss and get out of this horrible situation by cursing your slave master. Um, like, you know, that's why there's a lot of curses associated with it because they didn't have a lot of power and they didn't really have 
ways out of uh, slavery. So they were trying to take control of it. But also to me, once you know that, it kind of highlights why it's very much a religion that you need to, um, you know, if you are invited into it by a person of color, good, but you still need to be careful as a white person. But unless you are a person of color, you shouldn't lightly dabble in hoodoo or anything like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And also, if you are listening and you know anything about traditional Nigerian religions, please, please, please contact me somehow because I actually have a friend who is Nigerian and is interested in knowing more about those religious roots of hers, um, but she doesn't know where to start. And someone told her to ask me and I'm like, I don't know. I, I am in no way uh, like responsible or not responsible, but I am not the authority to tell a Nigerian woman about her own heritage. Uh, so, but if you have information on that, please send it my way. I would, I would love to let her know more about her roots um, because it's still very much, at least in her community, uh, something they talk about in secret. Yeah. And then there were also some religions that we kind of didn't mention. I mean, we briefly mentioned um, Islam, but there's, um, I know that one's a little tricky because I haven't, I don't know, I don't know much about the witchcraft side of that aside from maybe Sufism and the mystic side of Islam, which I think for any of these religions, you could really just take the mystical route and it'll be touching on witchcraft. Um, and then uh, we also discussed like Hindu and Buddhism. And what came up is that a lot of that, those religions have been appropriated by the new age community and by the witchy community. And so it's kind of like, you know, how do you tell this person how to practice a witchy virgin, version of their religion when, you know, there's people talking about chakras and yoga and stuff as though it's in a, an established part of uh, witchcraft and new age practices today. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if those are your traditions, I... I don't know that we would be the right authority to tell you that witchcraft is obviously still available to you because so much of our traditions are based off of your ancient teachings. Um, and maybe it's, maybe there's not witchcraft. I, again, I, I don't know if, if you have these traditions, um, if this is your religion, let us know again, uh, Gmail, Twitter, or Instagram DM. Um, but maybe you don't see it as witchcraft. Maybe you just see this is my religion. I don't need to call myself a witch. And that could be a yeah. big part of it too. Um, yeah, so I think that's everything we wanted to go over. Missa, did you have any other talking points? Or No, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. We've been talking for a long time now. Yeah. This is a problem that Katie and I have. We were actually talking for like 15 minutes before we even started. Like we were recording for 15 minutes before we even started talking about podcasts like about yeah. this episode <laughs> but, I mean I feel like we gave people a lot of good information today so at least there's that but, yeah. yeah I hope so and if you want more information if there's something you want us to explore further um again just let us know talk to us we're very approachable um and we'd love to dive into any of this deeper so if you want a, a whole episode about you know one of the one of the things that we talked about today we could definitely do more research and take a deep dive into something um later on um we have our next few episodes planned out we're going to start an astrology series here coming up um so we're going to kind of be diving into all things astrology and i think that's again a way that you can practice witchcraft without being a religious witch um there are plenty of witches out there who don't venerate deities, but work a lot with the stars and the, and, um, the, with astrology and horoscopes and things like that. And that's how they mm -hmm. practice their tradition. Yeah. And generally with astrology, astrology, I know a lot of people are like, oh, this is just, you know, a bunch of new age, blah, blah. But in all honesty, it was something that I always thought that. And then I noticed that I kept only dating Leo's. 
and I didn't understand every guy I started dating turned out to be a Leo and I didn't understand it. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where maybe it's a little hokey, but it is also in my life found to be very true. So, and I will also explain to you why I ended up, I, my current partner is not a Leo, but I will explain to you how I seem to only date Leos for a few years. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you just want to follow us to keep track of what we are up to, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at babywitchpod. And you can also email us at babywitchpod at gmail.com. All right. Well, we will talk to you all in two weeks on the next Magical Monday.